This is the WFG National Title Insider Report, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending to keep you informed and ahead of the market. In this download, WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone is back with us to offer his economic insight and give guidance on the real estate market during these uncertain times. Okay, Pat, thanks for joining us. Uh, The biggest question everyone has at this point, and really no one can answer at this point, is how long will this last? There's plenty of flat-out guessing and speculation as to the duration of this period we're in. Assuming we see the spread of the virus level off in, let's say, 8 to 10 weeks, and that would assume a national lockdown widespread testing available maybe in the next four or five weeks. Let's say that we level off by June. How long until the economy starts to come back to life? Well, Brian, that's a, you know, that, that is the $64,000 question, isn't it? And there is, there's opinions all over the spectrum on this. And to be honest with you, um, I think it has, a, it has a lot to do with the effectiveness of the the uh, recovery legislation being contemplated in Congress right now, it has a lot to do with whether or not this virus continues to move around the globe. Almost all viruses uh, of this, uh, all, all sorts of viruses that have caused any sort of epidemic, pandemic, or whatever, have uh, have surged and then abated and then come back uh, for a second uh, second visit, if you will. Uh, nowhere near as bad as the first one, but. Uh, it's really hard to get a handle on exactly when it will go away. I think it's reasonable to assume that it'll be abating by the end of Q2 and that we will be uh, maybe recovering a little bit. And, you know, I think probably the most optimistic economic forecast that I have heard is that uh, Q4 will be strong and Q1 next year will be really strong. I tend to be a little bit more reserved. I think that you are going to see a fairly significant drop in Q2. I mean, the, uh, the GDP drop in Q2 will be a record, and it will be anywhere from 10 to 25%. So, I mean, it's going to be a huge drop in Q2, basically because we've shut the country down. But I do think we'll be back positive. Uh, I'm hoping we'll be positive in Q3, much more positive in Q4. And by Q1 of next year, I think we'll be back uh, operating at a in a growth mode. Now, one of the problems, of course, is that the global economy, there were countries that were in or near a recession before this started. So the global economy is going to recover a lot, a lot slower. Europe's having a tough time. Obviously, Asia's had a tough time. That impacts us because we are in a global economy. So if you get really right down to talking about the U.S., I think it's more interesting to try to figure out where where it will hit our economy and how hard it will hit our economy in certain areas. And if you want to be really academic about it, I think about 75 percent of the economies at mild risk, maybe 20 percent of the economies at significant risk and about 5 percent is at no risk at all. So I think if you're really optimistic, you think this thing ends by the end of Q2 and then things go up. If you're pessimistic, you think we're going to go into a depression. And there are people out there that are saying that, uh, you know, we've got to be a little bit careful of going deflationary. Uh, you know, the 10-year the is down around 0.7%. And uh, the Fed has actually done a good job of being uh, aggressive and in in, uh, making sure that all the markets are operating, all the credit markets are operating. Um, they've even backstopped the mortgage market. You know, and I think they backstopped corporate debt, which was scaring me for a while. So, mm-hmm. 
You know, I think um, I, I'm moderately optimistic that this time next year, this will be something we talk about. Well, you remember last year and how bad it was, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Explain to our audience what you mean by deflationary. Well, if rates go negative, um, you know, we, we always talk about inflation. Deflation is the other side. And instead of the cost of goods going up at the desired 2% a year, they go down or they, and you get paid. You get, you know, cost goes down, your debt remains the same. And if you're highly leveraged in a deflationary environment, you're in a lot of trouble. So a deflationary environment works against any sort of debt. It works against, I mean, it just really is a death spiral. And uh, there have been countries that have had negative interest rates and they've had a hard time recharging their economy. I mean, Japan is a classic. It's been basically uh, been stuck in the in a neutral gear for about 20 years. Europe had negative interest rates and had a hard time getting going. So we don't you know, we really don't want to see us go deflationary. And if we do go deflationary, it gets a little bit scary. So um, let's hope that doesn't happen. Now, some economists out there will point out that the economy, the U.S. economy, was, quote unquote, strong prior to this. Now, my question to you is, was it really or were there issues like, say, an overinflated stock market? You've talked about corporate debt, all of the above that made it vulnerable. Were we on the tipping point of a potential recession anyway? And this drove us into it. Brian, I don't know if I would say we were on the tipping point of a potential recession. We had some issues. Obviously, corporate debt has just been out of control. You know, I was personally thinking that by 2022, we were going to have a real problem because that's when a lot of it uh, came due. We may even have a a quicker problem with some segments of it. You know, with the oil prices down, you've got shale oil companies that have been running negative for three years and borrowing money. And it's going to be really hard in this environment with uh, low oil prices. Uh, The energy industry could have some issues. Uh, We may have some corporate debt issues elsewhere, but I don't know that I would say that it was, there was a tipping point, but I will tell you the economy wasn't that strong. We ran at 2.1% growth. And I think last year for the year, we were maybe a little bit less than that um, or right at that. But I think, you know, everybody expected it to be a little bit slower in Q1, even without this virus. People were talking in the ones and we were experiencing the impact, if you will, of a slower global economy for sure. And uh, we were leveraged up pretty strongly. And for those of you awaiting insight on the real estate market, we'll get to that in the second half of this podcast. But want to lay the foundation here with the economic news. And, you know, Pat, some of the estimates predict it will take business, depending on the business, depending on the sector, three to six months to come back online, to ramp back up. And if that's the case, what I want to ask is if we, uh, let's say we get through the initial stage of the virus, it's under control. We start to see it level off, as you say, by end of Q2. So throughout June, if that's the case, how can we expect the economy to just bounce right back in Q3 or even Q4? I mean, if it's three to six months, that's a pretty quick turnaround to be back uh, firing on all cylinders, isn't it? Well, I don't think, I, yeah, I, and it isn't going to bounce right back. It's going to be more like a U-shaped recovery. I, You know, people talk a lot about V-shaped recoveries, and we get this all done, and we go forward and so forth and so on. It's going to take a little bit longer, and it'll be slow and gradual, but I do see it coming back. And I think by Q1 of next year, we'll be back to where we were Q1 of this year, or maybe even better. So 
Uh, it'll take a while to come back. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Brian, a lot of it depends on what kind of uh, what, what sort of legislation we see coming out regarding the Recovery Act, uh, how we're going to support people, how we're going to support companies. Again, I think the Fed has done a marvelous job of, of stepping up and making sure the credit markets are functional. Um, but it's going to be a function. It's going to be, a, in part, a, a question about, you know, what what kind of capital is available and and who can pull what trigger. We'll we'll see. And it's, there's too many unknowns to make an intelligent uh, projection. Now you mentioned the Fed, and they essentially state that they've got a blank check and an open-ended commitment to buy assets. So, you know, last time around the housing crisis, ten, twelve years ago, uh, it was kind of piecemeal as we go it's they're signaling to the markets that you know hey we've got a blank check we're going to buy assets we're going to rescue businesses and the economy the market though initially as we tape this podcast on monday march 23rd kind of ho-hum about that are are you concerned about that at all well the market's not ho-hum about that the market's ho-hum about the the recovery package being debated in in the legislature I mean, that's what's going on here. People want to see that, want to make sure it happens, want to see that one and a half to two trillion dollars dumped into the economy. And then the market will take a deep breath and and stabilize. Uh, No, the Fed is uh, you talk to anybody in lending, you talk to anybody that buys, you know, people that buy servicing for mortgages, people that uh, do uh, that have corporate debt outstanding. I mean, you talk about anybody in the market, they are 100 percent happy with what the Fed has done, because this could have been a devastating situation had the Fed not stepped up as quickly as they did and as aggressively as they did. Okay, that's good to hear. Let's uh, shift gears now and talk specifically about real estate. We've talked a little bit about it. You know, many forecasts the real estate market are biased. Let's face it. You've got people in real estate who are forecasting real estate. You mean like me? (laughs) No, you've always been honest with us, all right? You've always told it like it is. So, But, you know, there are quite a few people out there that, you know, want to put their spin on it so that, you know, it's a, a positive message for people out there buying real estate, and you've never pulled any punches. So overall, as of today's taping, What's your feeling about residential real estate? And I know it varies on the market, but generally speaking across the country and how bad this is going to be and for how long. Okay, so just by way of maybe setting the stage, um, it's important to understand that this year was off to a record start. I mean, this, uh, you know, if you look through um, two weeks ago, you were looking at a situation in which refinance activity was up significantly about four times over last year and and resale purchase activity was up about 10 percent over year over year now how does it how does it go forward from there both are going to slow down refis will slow down a little bit i think refis are still uh even this week even today or even last week through friday we're going very strong and i think they're going okay today they'll slow down a little bit the purchase business will slow down a lot more, mainly because of social interaction issues. You know, nobody wants to go visit somebody's house right now. And people are really reluctant to engage with strangers or have strangers come in their home. And, uh, you know, just the activity level around the purchase market has going to slow down dramatically. I think showings are down about 40% in the last two weeks. And I think they're going to go down even more. So you'll see a drop off in the purchase business. Uh, the refinance business will stay strong. And in fact, the MBA and the, uh, 
and the government, by and large, are doing everything possible to make sure that refinance activity stays strong because that's a way for a lot of people to lower their cost, and that would be beneficial to the economy as a whole. I think purchases will come back in the second half of the year. Um, I think what we were seeing to start this year was evidence of the fact that a lot of people want to buy a home. Want to, you, know, you know, I think people were getting back to a more normal environment in which they look for homes. You were starting to see more new homes built at the lower price ranges, uh, beginner homes being built. Uh, we were actually it was actually actually almost starting to feel like we were back to normal after a ten year a ten year recovery. Got a little hiccup here, so I think by the end of the year we will the purchase market will be back. Will it overall for the year be as good as last year? Hard to say. It will probably be down a little bit from last year. I think this will be you know if you look at the sectors of the economy that are impacted by this coronavirus and the economic slowdown, real estate is one of the areas that will be less impacted than most. It won't be any fundamental damage to prices. There won't be any, uh, actually, the ability to get a loan uh, process quickly and more efficiently is, is going to increase. So, I mean, there are a lot of positives around it. So I think it will recover by the end of the year. You know, we talked about the V-shape recovery. You're saying a U-shape uh Quick in, quick out, for the most part. I mean, if you look at this with a, a broad perspective, uh, you know, back to normal later this year, early next year. But I got to ask you, you know, when you see Boeing shutting down and hopefully not long term, uh, you know, you've got the restaurant industry, you've got travel, hospitality, but then you got Boeing or you've got major tech companies that, you know, get through this and go, hey, um, do we really need all those people? Do you expect any widespread layoffs uh, you know, from big tech companies, a, a disruption in their business that leads to uh, not only layoffs, but just job cuts at that level that could then have a profound impact on the real estate market everywhere? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, best guesses I've seen is that you've got about 75% of the economy that's mildly at risk, and, and that would include mo- most tech companies. The 20% of the economy that's at, at risk is really, you know, travel, leisure, entertainment, uh, beverage, foods, you know, that, that kind of thing. And uh, Boeing is sort of an aberration because Boeing had problems that had nothing to do with this recession. Yeah. And uh, they were impacting Boeing fairly significantly, nothing to do with this pandemic. <laughs> and they, they were impacting Boeing regardless of the pandemic. So I don't know that Boeing is a good example of anything because that one was sort of outside the uh, outside of being uh, having most of its impact from the pandemic. So. If you look at, um, let's say you look at restaurant and bars, for instance. So we've got a $21 trillion economy. Restaurant and bars are probably $1 trillion. So you just basically eliminated that one, right? Yeah. Uh, now that will come back as people get back uh, engaged and, and uh, able to socialize. And that will incur, that will result in more demand and more, more revenue for people, especially lower income people as they get reemployed. So I don't know that I see, um, if this doesn't go on too long, I don't know if I see a major disruption from this that changes employment patterns, certainly not in tech or any of the normal businesses. You know, I, I watched a really good interview this morning with a guy that heads up the National Movie House Association, and he was he was talking about you know all movie theaters are shut down now, and the biggest issue, of course, they have is whether or not 
the uh, film studios start going directly to, to the internet instead of uh, showing their films first in the movie theaters, you know. So there, there may be some things that actually change because of this, and that might be one of them, right? Um, so some things will change, but I don't see major disruption to employment and things like technology. Okay, that's good to hear. Now, just a couple weeks ago, we all had people in and around the real estate industry who thought the coronavirus would not impact their world. We all know that's not the case. Um, open houses were still open, even after health officials were urging social distancing. What advice do you have for title agents, real estate agents, anybody in the profession right now who is impacted by this? Is there an opportunity to be uh, improving your business? What should you be doing right now when we're in this state? Well, I think it depends a little bit. Uh, it, it varies and depends a little bit about what exact business you're in. But, but you know, I would really recommend to everybody that you sit down, a quiet moment, shut the door, turn off the phone, and stop and stop and really look at your business and look at it hard and say, okay, um, I'm not going to make any strategic decisions right now until I see which way the wind's blowing. And again, I, I think we'll know that fairly quickly. In two to four weeks, we'll have this, all this uncertainty will be to a large extent uh, gone and we'll see patterns and we'll see, we'll be able to make projections based on information. So deferred decisions for right now, you know, build some flexibility into your business. You know, I mean, if you're running an operation of any kind, you know, you got labor supplies, you got, delivery, growth opportunities, that sort of things, and build a little flexibility into how you think. Make sure that you know what your supply chains are and that, that it, what impact this is going to have in your business, what you do, you know, what you do if something happens. This should be a moment which we all take a look at how we operate and what we do and say, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be prepared to go this way. I'm going to be prepared to go that way. I'm going to be prepared to do whatever I have to do. Now, if I am a realtor out there right now, I want to figure out how I can continue to interact with people effectively without having to see them face to face. So if you don't know about, you know, if, you, if you're not up to speed on what technologies are available to, to basically enable you to continue your footprint in the market, put some time and effort into that. I mean, a lot, you know, and, I, and I've been guilty of this a couple times in my career where I haven't kept up on technology. Take a few minutes to really make sure that you're honest with yourself about what you know, what you don't know. Seek out some help and, and get up to speed and use technology to give you give yourself market presence without having to be physically present, right? I mean, there is a tremendous amount of technology out there that allow you to continue to work effectively and have an imprint in the market without actually having to put yourself at risk. So, uh, Let's be. Let's all be smart about this. You know, this is in some ways an opportunity because what's going to happen is that the people that think and work are going to are going to be okay. The people that don't aren't. So this is a chance to differentiate yourself. Last thing I have for you, and I know for some people who are downloading this, uncertainty causes anxiety, and this is hard to hear in times like this when someone says, "Well, this will only make us stronger," but. That said, there are already things in motion because of this crisis, which is certainly negative, that will make things positive moving forward. And we've talked a lot about Ron on this podcast with Chuck Kane, but I know there are already things in the in the works to streamline the industry even more, right? Well, absolutely. And you know, if, if I can take just a second here, Brian, an interesting thing is, 
you know, it's natural to have anxiety. Anytime, anytime there is change and you don't know the outcome, you're going to experience anxiety. But understand this. Every single person is feeling the same anxiety. So the difference is going to be those that engage proactively to try to make their process better, to try to know more, to offer more value. Those people will win. Those that sit back and wait for, you know, wait for the world to change, they're going to get left behind. Um, you know, so there, there's always an anxiety there. I will tell you this, that I don't think I've ever seen so much proactive conversation about making the process more efficient than I have in the last two weeks. <laughs> it's just stunning to me. I've had conversations with people that had no interest in talking about Ron or anything else. Now they're nothing but interested in it because they understand we all need to be be more efficient. We've got to eliminate the amount of actual in-person contact that's needed to do something. And we've got to be more effective and more, well, just more efficient with how we do things. So, I mean, this, this is, there, there's going to be, there will be some positives out of this experience. And I think making the real estate process more efficient is going to be one of them. Patrick Stone, founder and executive chairman of Williston Financial Group and WFG National Title, joining us on the Insider Report. Thank you for partnering with WFG. To learn more about our unique process, systems, and technology, visit WFGAgent.com.